Hello, hello, test one, two, three. Can you guys hear me? All right, let's give uh, other folks a few more minutes. Yeah, while we're waiting uh, for those who joined, thank you. And uh, while we're waiting, uh, feel free to uh, browse, uh, take a look at uh, a link I posted in the chat. And, uh, and uh, also, I have uh, realized that I missed at least one shooting incident that can be classified as a black rage shooting. Uh, in case uh, you know about that incident, uh, you know, feel free to, you know, call in and then we can talk about that as well. So let's give everyone two more minutes and uh, we'll get started.
Okay, let's get started. Well, thank you uh, again. Welcome. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening. And uh, you probably uh, may not know this. Uh, I'm using Peter Mark, uh, not uh, as a stage name. This is not my real name. As a, it's kind of a risky business to talk about uh, white privilege this way that I'm going to talk about. So I'd rather keep it anonymous for the time being. Uh, this show is about to uh, to address a question. This question is uh, pretty simple. When the English law was imported from a single race society, which is England, to America, which is a multiracial society, how was it supposed to work? Well, you know, it's a tricky question. Uh, it's actually a trick question uh, because uh, it did not work well. Uh, the two recent events uh, seems to have answered this question more succinctly. Uh, one of them is a, com is a, is a comment by an uh, Ivy League law professor. Her name is Amy Wax on Tucker Carlson's show. And another event is uh, the shooting by this guy, Frank James, in New York City subway. Uh, Amy Wax, uh, Professor Wax, she is... Uh, uh, University of Pennsylvania law professor. And uh, on the Tucker Carlson show, she recently said this, and I quote, I think there is just a tremendous amount of a resentment and shame of non-Western peoples against Western peoples for Western people's outsized achievements and contributions. I mean, it's really unbearable, it's still her words, leaving aside African blacks who I think do feel that resentment and shame and envy, I mean, it is, the un, it is, it is this unholy brew of a sentiment. Right, so Professor Wax, she succinctly concluded that black resentment and the shame and the envy against the racial injustice that happened to them are wholly unfounded. Okay. Uh, as we know, Frank James, this uh, New York City subway shooter, uh, he has his own argument. Uh, he, you know, he pretty much, uh, his argument is it's just uh, shooting a bunch of uh, bullets to people. Uh, when, uh, to just basically vent his resentment and rage. This Ivy League law professor and this uh, semi-homeless black man, uh, Frank James, share one thing in common. You know, they have the deepest resentment towards each other. But what troubles me most is that Professor Amy Wax is a Harvard-educated medical doctor and a Columbia-educated United States attorney. And she's also an Ivy League law professor. And she could have been selected, selected to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, right? She, her, you know, she has an impeccable qualification. So with that said, you know, I want to say that uh, the, this judicial white privilege, as shown in uh, Amy Wax and others, is a real thing. Uh, there's a famous uh, Tom Brady uh, person, Tom Brady, who is a uh, New England used to be New England Patriots quarterback. There's also a famous uh, judge whose name is uh, Thomas Brady. 
and he's a Mississippi judge. He once、uh, spoke the truth about judicial white privilege. This guy, Judge Brady, he told a gathering.、Uh, this、uh, he said this. I don't want the Negro, as a class, to control the making of law that controls me, to control the government under which I live. So this show is here. You know, there's a theory of a judicial white privilege is here to make this,、uh, you know, deepest racial division more understandable and more real to all Americans. And I think this country is in a dire need of a more equitable justice system, because as the saying says, "No justice, no peace." You know, we need a more equitable justice system. You know, for a better union, for a more peaceful and a prosperous union. So, you know, I I hope there will be a movement towards that. And、uh, you know, for for any movement, you must have you must have a theory behind a movement. You know the American Independence War has its theory to justify the Independence War.、Uh, the Civil War has its has a theory to justify the, the the Civil War, and the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s also has a theory. So, so I have a you know proposed you know my theory, which I'm going to read out again because it is quite important, you know, for everyone to understand. In the legislative branches, the white privilege is a seen or unseen discretionary power exercised by the white majority and its proxies, driven by overt or unconscious racial bias, to make laws that favor the white majority at the expense of racial minorities. In the executive branch, branches. The white privilege is a seen or unseen discretionary power exercised by the white majority and its proxies, driven by overt or unconscious racial bias, to enforce laws through customs or policies or manners that favor the white majority at the expense of racial minorities. In the judicial branches. The white privilege is a seen or unseen discretionary power exercised by the white majority and its proxies, driven by overt and unconscious racial bias, to administer justice in manners that deprive racial minorities of their constitutional rights and privileges. As we have three branches of a government in the American democracy. These three tiers of white privileges—they can operate independently from each other, and they can also cooperate with each other. All right. So, so that is, you know, in a nutshell, how I describe the American democracy has operated at this point. And you may ask, you know, why this show is only about the. Judicial branch, the judicial white privilege only. What the about the other two branches? Well, it was my observation after going through a lot of、uh, historic stuff that it seems that the courts is the place where the initial racial oppression gets started. 
This is the first. And the second is that it seems also to me the courts, the judicial branch, have been quite complicit with the white privilege, the practice of white privilege in the other two branches of the government. And uh, and so, you know, you think of this a three-tiered white privilege system. The judicial white privilege is the highest tier because when you disagree with a particular law, you can go to the court. And if you disagree over how the law enforcement is enforcing the laws, you can go to the courts. But when the courts is uh, the minister of justice in a racially prejudiced manners, then you're kind of out of luck because uh, you're not going anywhere with, with your complaint. So that, in a nutshell, is one of the reasons why I want to focus just on the judicial white privilege. So now I have been trying to figure out what is the driving force behind this uh, judicial white privilege. So uh, I was uh, quite personally uh, find out uh, there is this uh, a chart, which I will call it the uh, original critical race theory. As you know, the CRT, critical race theory, these days, create a lot of uh, controversies at school. But uh, if you go to the link uh, that I, uh, I I posted on the uh, on the uh, in the chat room, you will find out this is a blog on the Library of the Congress talking about uh, eighteen twenty six, I believe, chart. It's called the moral and the political chart of the inhabited world. In this particular library of a Congress a blog, if you go to the comment section, which is pretty, pretty interesting, someone asks this. This uh, person, Mary J. Johnson, uh, uh, in April 23rd, 2021, asks this. Any chance the Woodbridge School Atlas will be digitized at some point, especially for use by geographic teachers? It's perfect for classroom use. Thank you for this excellent post. So I would argue that this particular chart, where it classified inhabited the world into civilized, half civilized, savage, territories, and all that, is the original critical race theory. It is actually used in the classroom back then. So I'm going to predict or or conclude that uh, a lot of this uh, racial prejudice is rooted in the education system back then since, you know, around time of 1826. So, so with that said, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pause a little bit. Just let me check whether you guys have any questions.
All right, I see one posting. Thank you. And uh, so, so now I'm going to go over some uh, some of the questions that you uh, you may have. Uh, first of all, is this a critical theory? You know, because uh, again, this this particular show is just a social media sideshow for a book project I'm working on. So, so the uh, so I'm assuming that some people will ask, is this a critical theory? I will say yes. This is a critical theory, uh, not critical race theory yet. Uh, because uh, when an appellate court reverses a lower court rulings, it usually have to present a theory that is critical of the lower court's theory, the lower court's ruling. Right. So we are going to review a lot of these uh, court decisions, sometimes by the you know quite often by the U.S. Supreme Court, and saying, look, you know, this is uh, how the racial oppression actually got started by the U.S. Supreme Court, not by anyone else. So yes, it is a critical theory. And as a matter of fact, this is not the first book talking about U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, this uh, author, uh, Lawrence Goldstone, G-O-L-D-S-T-O-N-E, Lawrence Goldstone, he published a book in, I believe, in uh, 2012 or 2011. The title of the book is this. It's called The Betrayal of Equal Rights by the U.S. Supreme Court. So let me repeat that title, The Betrayal of Equal Rights by the U.S. Supreme Court. The period of uh, covered by this book is uh, 1865 to 1903. Again, 1865 to 1903. Now, since, uh, you know, uh, since 1803 till today, we, you know, another 100 years has passed. And uh, is this uh, getting better or worse? Now, this book project called The Judicial White Privilege, The People's History of American Jurisprudence, is going to show, no, it's actually getting, uh, I was just going to say it's just about the same, basically. It, the courts continue to be, uh, continue to hand out uh, decisions that are prejudicial to the man, racial minority's interest. And uh, so another question could be, you know, is this a critical race theory all over again? Well, the answer to that question is really, it depends. Because uh, as I uh, as I share with you this uh, political and moral chart dated to 1826, I believe that chart is really the original critical race theory, and it's taught in school, right? And the second is that if you look at the uh, original Constitution of the United States, including the uh, Declaration of Independence. They are both critical race theory because uh, I'm pretty sure both uh, documents talk about other race and it's a pretty, you know, in a pretty derogatory terms. Uh, and uh, because uh, both documents pretty much stated that the liberty is for the whites only and, uh, and that they are liber and that the liberty for the whites to deal with those uh, savages and, uh, and the slaves, right? So, so in a sense, you know, you can say this book is another critical race theory simply because the original, you know, teaching in, at school and the Constitution 
is you know a critical race theory. And uh, oh, but however, at the same time, the answer can be no. That this is not a particularly critical race theory, because uh, this book is all about judicial records. Uh, because uh, uh, there is a football great, I think his name is uh, Bill Parcell, and he has a famous saying. The saying is this: "You are what your records say you are." Let me repeat. He's saying, "You are what your records say you are." Basically, this. We just go by this book is just go by the judicial records. Basically, this is what the U.S. Supreme Court said at that time, and it is prejudicial against the racial minority, and it lasted for for decades after decades. Okay, so from that perspective, no, it's not a critical race theory. It is a critical theory. It's a critical of the court's decision. Then, okay. And another way to look at it is that no, it's not a critical race theory because the book is being critical of the U.S. government, specifically the judicial branch of the U.S. government. Okay, and uh, you know the government is supposed to be a government of all people, and uh, and uh, so you know we're saying it looks like that's not the case, and uh, of course as we all know, criticizing the government, you know, is is not a crime in this country because, uh, as a matter of fact, criticizing the government is uh, being patriotic, as far as I'm concerned. So that's not, you know, from that perspective, this book is not uh, just another critical race theory. It's just being critical of the judicial branch. And uh, the third reason why this is, may not be considered a critical race theory is that there is a term called the underprivileged whites. It's always a term called the underprivileged whites. The key word in judicial white privilege is not the word white. The critical word is privilege, meaning that this book is critical of a few privileged judges who made the decisions that have deprived racial minorities their constitutionally protected rights and privileges. So, and as a matter of fact, we, uh, there will be three important decisions made by the U.S. Supreme Court. Actually, uh, uh, boomerang to underprivileged whites in this country. And, uh, and so, so from that perspective, this is not really just a, you know, uh, critical race theory. This is just a critical theory. Uh, so that, in a nutshell, is uh, you know, is what it's about. And now I'm going to talk about uh, how this got started. The uh, this thing started uh, in, back in 2016, and uh, I was uh, quite, of course, uh, uh, impacted by some of those uh, events, such as uh, Michael Brown's sh uh, shooting in, uh, I think, Ferguson, Missouri, and uh, a bunch of other police shooting of unarmed uh, blacks. So I have come across this concept called the white privilege. And uh, one of the main scholars who started this discussion of white privilege is uh, Peggy McIntosh. 
I believe she's a professor uh, in one of the colleges in Massachusetts. Her theory seems uh, to me back then is more of a from a sociological perspective or behavioral perspective. So I reached out to her and I explained to her is that I really want to take a legal and a governmental perspective of this thing called the white privilege. So I lay out the definition as I, uh, you know, uh, said earlier. You know, I, I, I exchanged quite some email with her saying, hey, you know, it seems to me that uh, if we stopped at uh, the so so uh, social, psychological, or behavioral perspective of this thing called the white privilege, I don't think it does justice. She actually is very nice. She included a uh, a, a, a NYU, uh, New York University Law School professor. I believe her name is Sylvia Law. Her last name is Law, L-A-W, uh, into the discussion. But at that time, they, uh, they were both uh, not so convinced about my uh, proposal. So, so that's, uh, and then I came across with a, uh, a Delaware attorney and uh, in which, you know, uh, with which I exchanged some, you know, this kind of idea of, hey, you know, it seems to me this white privilege is really a governmental and legal privilege that white majority has enjoyed, you know, until today, it is, you know, it's even today, basically. And, uh, and uh, and uh, he, uh, this lawyer uh, who uh, who became you know a great friend of of, of mine, uh, disagreed with me initially back in 2016. He strongly disagreed with me, especially on the judicial white privilege. His argument is that basically he said, you know, Peter, you know, yeah, given that there's a uh, you know, too many shootings by the police of unarmed black people and all that. Yeah, it's a sad. But the courts has been diligent in correcting these uh, historic mistakes and injustice. You know, he used the example this, uh, uh, of uh, Brown versus Board of Education uh, as an example. You know, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is probably the, the cream of the crop of all the Supreme Court decisions. So at that time, you know, he did convince me, but probably the courts are still just and very equal and very mindful of the racial inequality in this country, right? But uh, more recently, I was able to convince this lawyer. By the way, he is, uh, you know, he practiced law for 30 some years and he's a very experienced attorney himself. He came to agree with me that actually Brown versus Board of Education is, by, after all, not a great decision after all. At best, you know, you only address half of the problem, not the problem in its entirety, the racial segregation. So with, with that, I was able to convince him, hey, you know, let's do this book together because I think uh, this should be an uh, interesting book for case laws uh, to go over that. So, so that, in a nutshell, is what, you know, how I come to uh, start this project. And uh, so with that said, uh, I I'm going to go over quickly 
potentially some other questions. Because uh, I have uh, spoken in few of other shows that uh, this particular chart called the political and moral chart of the inhabited world is a very enlightening piece of uh, evidence that uh, if, uh, that uh, this uh, this moral superiority of the Western people show in this chart also has a global implication today. Uh, basically, what happened even today in Europe, uh, in Africa, in South America, and in the United States, a lot of those uh, policy priorities uh, being the you know national security, uh, environmental policies, they are still driven by this, in my opinion, uh, 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 Eurocentral and uh, uh, moral superior, um, holier than all of you kind of a mentality. So, so I do believe there's a global implication of this uh, white privilege theory. Basically, you can call it Euro-centered theory, uh, meaning that in that chart, European is the center of the world as far as the political and the moral value is concerned, right? So, so, so however, for this show and for this show alone, I will only want to focus on the judicial white privilege. I only want to focus on cases that of judicial proceedings that uh, has a clear indication that uh, America's America's justice system remain very biased. Okay, so 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 with that uh, so so with that said, uh, I'm just going to say. For the next episode, uh, I'm still trying to get connected with this guy in Maryland. He is very passionate about this uh, Bill Cosby's case. As you probably know, Bill, Bill Cosby uh, has uh, this uh, criminal trial, uh, which uh, he was found guilty by a jury, but the Pennsylvania Supreme Court vacated his conviction, and uh, the case was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I believe in March of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to consider the uh, the, the vacating of uh, Bill Cosby's conviction. And uh, Bill Cosby's case is another good case of a judicial white privilege, which I'm going to show. It's you know this thing is uh, still being practiced today, and uh, and uh, and. Uh, and I am just trying to get uh, connected with this fellow to uh, uh, to have the next episode about the judicial white privilege. So with that said, uh, let me check. Is there any people interested in calling in? Okay, apparently nobody. So with that said, I'm going to uh, close this uh, episode and uh, thank you again for joining me tonight and I know it's kind of late and uh, I appreciate uh, you coming on 
And uh, hopefully I will see you again in the next episode. All right. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.